You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Thomas Frank is the author of What's the Matter with Kansas, The Wrecking Crew, and Pity the Billionaire. He writes a monthly column for Harper's Magazine, The Easy Chair. His latest column, Power Rangers. Thank you for joining me, Thomas. You got it, Rick. Thomas, tell us about the three programs that you chose to look at to understand how we see Washington. Well, I was sort of surprised to discover that there were three TV shows running about uh, Washington D.C. right now, and that all of them take the you know this very cynical perspective on the city that nobody is looking out for the public good, everybody's in it for themselves. Uh, corruption and scandal are everywhere, so they take this very dark view of Washington, sometimes a darkly humorous view. And I was surprised to see first that there were three shows about Washington, and second, that they all took the same perspective, with a few variations. But I should mention the shows are Scandal, which is running on ABC, let's see, House of Cards, which is this Netflix production, and then HBO is running one called Veep, about a vice president played by Julia Louis-Dreyfus. And that's the comedy, by the way. She's very funny. One of the things that all of these three shows have in common is a preoccupation with power, but it's not the kind of power that actually matters in Washington, is it? No, it's a it's it's a very peculiar view of Washington. All three shows have scenes that are clearly shot here in D.C., but it's as though they were written by people who don't really you know know very much about the town. And this is odd, okay? So you look at the one that the, on ABC, the one called Scandal. It's based on the life. Or this, or so their publicity says it's based on the life of a woman who was a press relations person for the first Bush administration, the, you know, uh, George Bush's dad back in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. Among other things, she was working to get uh, Clarence Thomas confirmed as the Supreme Court judge. She's a very interesting person. She certainly knows about what Washington is like, but the TV show that's based on her life and career or I should say the first season of the show anyways, it's just all about sex scandals, just one after another after another, you know, with the, all of these sort of sex-related twists to these scandals. None of these shows actually talk about or describe the real sort of misgovernment that has taken place in this city, by which I mean all of the scandals of the George Bush administration, the you know, Abramoff scandal, the Duke Cunningham stuff, all the misgovernment, the contracting abuse in Iraq and New Orleans. And, you know, this is stuff that we're still finding out about now, by the way. I mean, new information about how money was blown in Iraq is, you know, still coming out all the time. But none of these shows even get, they don't even touch that stuff. They don't even come close to it. One of the shows, Veep, is based on a British show, which is an interesting choice to, to because the styles of government are so... You know, They're completely different, different. Yes. yes. Well, two of them are based on British shows. The uh, House of Cards is, you know, that's actually the title of a popular show in Britain from about 20 years ago, and they basically just imported the thing, 
completely into America and put, you know, Kevin Spacey playing the role of the, the this British politician. Of course, in the American version, he's an American politician. They don't have anything to do with American reality. I mean, there are little bits here and there. You know, they throw in some good details here and there. But uh, Veep, in particular, the whole, uh, I mean, you know, it's a comedy. And what's supposed to be funny about it is the characters cursing, okay? They, they're they extremely foul-mouthed. This is on HBO, so they're allowed to do that. It's on cable. They come up with really inventive insults that they direct at one another. That, and then the other joke is that all of these people are these kind of born sycophants, you know, sucking up to power. And the hilarious thing is they've all managed to get themselves attached. The person they've all attached themselves to is the vice president, who famously doesn't have any power. (laughs) So they're, they're all these sort of, you know, master politicians, if by politician you mean, you know, just someone who will say anything to advance their own self-interest. And here they are in D.C., but they're working for the vice president, which is a complete career dead end. And all they do is call each other really horrible names. And that's, I guess, that, I mean, it is it is actually pretty funny. You know, it's very amusing stuff. Let's talk a little bit about House of Cards. This is from Netflix, who apparently computer-coordinated the star and the director, David Fincher, and best known for a serial killer uh, story, Seven. So he brings his serial killing storytelling insights to Washington. At first, all the stories about House of Cards focused on this weird fact about where it came from, which is it was uh, they chose the director and the star using an algorithm because the audience research has become so um, you know advanced and so specialized and so accurate you know that they can they can track the way you watch something on your computer and so they, they that's that that's the kind of research that they use to decide who would be the star and um, what's funny is. I'm sort of getting off the subject a little bit here, but when those stories came out, people were, you know, the reviewers were were basically really excited by this <laughs> that a TV that a, that, that, that a makers of a TV show could do this kind of research. It was as though they thought this would guarantee you this really superior product, and they spent a whole lot of money making this show, House of Cards. I mean, a ton of money. And uh, it's, you know, it too, all of these shows are, are pretty good as in terms of TV entertainment. And House of Cards, you know, is, is very high production values as TV shows go. You know, and they've got the big name actors like Kevin Spacey. But what really intrigues me, of course, is its understanding of political corruption. And the way the show goes about it is it, basically everyone is corrupt. Everyone is completely enthralled of this kind of, with this kind of Nietzschean will to power. Everyone from top to bottom, from the main character who is the House uh, majority whip. He's supposed to be a Democrat. The Democrats are supposed to control the House. Everyone from him down to like the homeless man on the street is a self-serving, conniving, you know, backstabber. And, you know, and they're all out to ruin everyone else and, and claw their way to the top. And some of them are good at it, and some of them aren't good at it. And basically, that's what goes on in the program. And everything is like this. So it gives you this very dark vision of Washington. When I, when I say dark, I mean it literally dark. They film it at night. 
it's always <laughs> at night. The interior scenes, they've like chosen all these interiors in Washington where the paint on the walls is gray. It's always gray in this show. This is how they understand the city. Everyone is a hypocrite. Everyone's a liar. Everyone is a self-serving, self-seeking, sort of Machiavellian type of person. And what's funny is that, you know, all of that, so the darkest possible vision of how Washington, D.C. works. And it's really inaccurate. They completely miss the point, you know, of, of what corruption really looks like, what corruption really is. Isn't that funny? So they're as cynical as they can possibly be, and yet they don't, you know, the whole idea of cynicism is that you've seen through the lies. The scales have fallen from your eyes, and you can see through the, uh, the ideology. Now you know how it all works. And they don't know how it all works. That's the funny thing. They're as cynical as they can possibly be, and they they don't understand reality. It has nothing to do with reality. Well, it has some. There's a few moments that are pretty good. But Talk about the perspective of power in these shows, because they all have a unique and, and fairly similar perspective of power of how it works. And it's interpersonal, not political. Exactly. It's always about the personal. People are supposed to be interested in the pursuit of power for its own sake. There's no reason you know, even to explain it. This is how these shows understand human beings to be. This is what humans do. They want power. And what they mean by power is power over other people. So House of Cards, which is the most elaborately developed of these shows, House of Cards, everybody is trying constantly to get power over others. And this always, and I mean always, in the show takes the form of blackmail. It's really strange. So, you know, once characters are constantly threatening to tell on other characters, they find out about something bad that someone has done, and then they threaten to tell, and then that person that they have blackmailed basically becomes their slave, you know, and does their bidding for the rest of the program. And this apparently is a bond of iron. Once you've blackmailed somebody, I mean, they are yours. And that's how the show progresses. Everyone is constantly trying to blackmail everyone else, constantly. And the other one that has a very interesting way of observing this is Veep, where all these people are power seekers, but they're all frustrated. But in this one, what makes it amusing is this constant stream of insults. But the insults only flow in one direction, which is from high to low. This is the other thing about these shows. They all have this military sense of hierarchy. Everything goes from high to low. The person at the top insults the person below him, and that person passes on the insult to the person below him. And that's just how it works. Everything is in this sort of chain of command. You know, that's how they understand Washington, D.C. And the funny thing about that is, you know, that isn't how the city works. There actually are all sorts of different forms of power, and including democratic ones that work the other way around. You know, you can be cynical about America, but these things still exist. And in, in my story in Harper's, I talk about the way they depict organized labor. There's a long section of House of Cards that's about a strike, national teachers' strike. Uh, and it's the strike, get this, Rick, the strike is called by the lobbyist for the teachers' union, <laughs> you know, which is like, I've never heard of, okay, I've never heard of that happening, but I could understand, I could see how that might occur, you know, that, that a lobbyist could, could somehow be involved in encouraging a strike. But then the, the hilarious thing is that when they, they, they you know, the, 
the, the plot, you know, uh, winds this way and that, and the main character has to somehow bring the strike to an end because it's really bad, it's really embarrassing for, you know, other people in his party who are higher up than him. And so he blackmails the lobbyist for the teachers' union. And we're just supposed to understand that the lobbyist is capable of ending a strike, you know, just because just he wants to. You're talking about millions of teachers, you know, in democratic organ, and this is, you know, this is not how things work. You have to have a vote. You have to do all sorts. But they they constantly misunderstand uh, life in this way, and, and Washington in this way. Everything flows from the top down, and of course that isn't what it is at all. It sounds to me like a dynasty version of reality, uh, or, only much darker. Uh, but uh, versus, I think where the kind of treatment that might work better to apply to Washington would be a CSI, where you're just diagnosing and diving into some of these problems you talk about. The stuff you talk about that's really happens, the bank regulators, the yeah. way the funds have gone out, all this kind of mismanagement stuff is really interesting just in terms of the combination of technical expertise and complete bungling the way those two <laughs> are mixed inextricably yeah that's right and that's you you're talking about the the my book the wrecking crew here which is just about you know about why government fails and the thing that i concluded in that book and i sort of reiterate that in this story in harper's is that the kind of scandals that we've seen in washington over the last 20 years are scandals that are actually produced by this very sort of cynicism. When you're just cynical about Washington, and you know that's what these shows are. It's like, oh, Washington D.C. politics, oh, you know, and just cynical about it in the most general way, you know, uh, that has nothing to do with specifics, nothing to do with ideology, nothing to do with the sort of intricacies of democracy. It's just people in Washington are bad. When that's your take on government. That actually causes corruption. That doesn't, you know, that doesn't like open your eyes to corruption. That's what lays behind all of the corruption that we've been talking about. I mean, the reason that they outsourced everything in Iraq was because of this this whole philosophy of government, where where you know government can't do anything right. This very cynical philosophy of government. Cynicism is what's behind all this. I mean, Jack Abramoff is a deeply cynical man about government. Uh, so are all of his colleagues. You know, think of Grover Norquist. You know, he of wants course. to drown government in the bathtub. Of course, we could. You know, this is and this is the attitude that leads to scandal. This is not the attitude that solves scandals or that reveals scandals. This is the attitude that causes them. Well, that's and that's evident in that. If you say, suggest that government can't do stuff right and you outsource it, the first thing they can't do right is outsourcing, and it just magnifies the ineptitude rather right. than solving. Right, and and also the anybody that any, people that think that uh, and that argue that you know in in our country also tend to think that the market does do things right. That if you want to get something done, you know, let the market do it, and that hence that's why they privatize and outsource everything. And the idea of putting government on a market-based footing, I mean, Jesus Christ, that's, that's Duke Cunningham selling, you know, selling uh, uh, earmarks, you know. That's what, that's what the Bush administration was all about, was basically, I mean, it's, it's just one step from bribery. And so th- this, is, and this is why these shows can't, you know, for all their cynicism, 
can't get their hands around what has actually happened in Washington D.C. You know, they they just can't understand, can't comprehend it at all. They don't even get close. And what you suggest is that uh, there's we're heading towards a cynicism shortage. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, my thing is, uh, I look. I'm very. I'm a very cynical guy, Rick. You know this. You've. We've. I've been on your show many times. I'm a. I'm. I'm a cynical person. I'm. I'm a professional doubter, a skeptic. You know, I never believe uh, what they tell me. I always want to look past the surface. But cynicism isn't just an attitude that you 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 adopt. You know, to make yourself feel better than or feel smarter than others. Uh, you know, to 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 sort of reassure yourself that you know how everything goes down. It's it's much more complicated than that. The world that we live in, I mean, cynicism is a, is a precious thing, is my way of putting it. And something, you know, cynicism should give rise to something that's productive. And these shows go in completely the opposite direction. You know, to just be cynical about Washington, which is what they are, uh, Washington can't do anything right. To be cynical about Washington is a, the, the, this is an irresponsible form of cynicism. It yields nothing. It goes nowhere. You know, it just leads to more sort of uh, uh, Bush era type of scandals. But this is also, you remember, this is one of the the big, the great themes of the Wrecking Crew, is that conservative governance has fed on this very kind of cynicism for a long time. It's in a kind of uh, uh, what do you call that when it, when uh, when two beings coexist? Symbiotic relationship with this form of cynicism, you know. So it's a feedback Rich, loop. Think, sorry, it's a feedback loop. Yeah, exactly. Think of Richard Nixon and Watergate. You know, the immediate aftermath of Watergate was to they elected a whole bunch of of you know very liberal members of Congress. It was very famous in 1974. But the long term, uh, you know, the long term result. Uh, of Watergate was that people became cynical about the possibilities of government in general, and the, and so the long term consequence of Watergate was the Reagan Revolution. You know, a man being elected president who says that government is the problem, and then you know Reagan gives us misgovernment, you know, episode after episode of catastrophic misgovernment. Just think of Iran Contra here. You know, it was this enormous scandal, and that was all brought about by people who thought government couldn't do anything right. Ollie North and company, uh, you know, they wanted to build a foreign policy apparatus outside of government because everybody knew the State Department and Congress couldn't do anything right, (laughs) you know. And this, in turn, breeds more cynicism, which breeds more of this kind of idiotic politics. And you you get people like Tom DeLay and Jack Abramoff and George Bush, you know, appointing these morons, I'm sorry, <laughs> That's going too far, but but basically running these federal agencies into the ground, you know, filling them with hacks and cronies and people that don't believe in the mission, and then next thing you know, you've got you know uh, uh, what's his name Brownie at FEMA, you know. I'm sort of rehashing all of the great scandals of the Bush years, you know, because it was a really scandalous era, and it's 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 kind of funny to look back now. It was only four years ago that it ended. To look back now and realize just how awful it was, and uh, you know, because I'm very, I've been very critical of Barack Obama in lots of ways. But one thing, it's been really refreshing to have clean government make a comeback. You know, I'm very, very pleased with that. 
Well, one of the points that you make in The Wrecking Crew that I think is is so powerful is that the idea of the anti-government forces is to defund the government to the point where it can't do anything and then say, look, hey, it can't do everything. That's right. It's the feedback loop. Yes, exactly. And then we and, have to and sell these, out. These, and it's funny that you know we think of Hollywood as being this very liberal place, but this is essentially this is a very conservative view of Washington, D.C. that just, you know... Uh, that just wants to uh, you know dismiss the whole place as hopelessly corrupt, and you don't ha- even have to go into specifics. They just know it. You know that's just its nature. That is the nature of the place, and that form of cynicism. Next thing you know, it gives you another round of corruption. By the way, the, I should say that show the show Scandal is. It's both very cynical, but it also is is kind of an exception to this, in that it also has good it has good guys. <laughs> you know, it's on ABC. It has good guys. The other shows have only bad guys. Like in House of Cards, nobody is good. <laughs> you know, everyone is 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 sort of given over to this. Everyone is a miniature Carl Rove. <clears throat> but in Scandal, there are a couple characters that are supposed to be good, and you're supposed to be. It's it's very interesting. It's got a central scandal and then ancillary scandals. And the central scandal is the president is having an affair with the main character in the program. But it's an off-again, on-again affair. It's very confusing. Um, <laughs> and uh, and then there's all these lesser scandals that sort of take take place in the margins. And, of course, what will save the world in all of these shows? Celebrity culture. Yes, that's right. Most of them don't offer any solution at all. You know, like in Veep, you're just supposed to laugh at what idiots everyone is. And it's very funny. But in Scandal, they, the main character who runs a, uh, a sort of really high-powered PR agency in Washington that also has lawyers connected with it and also has an expert hacker connected with it and all this sort of thing, at one point it, during the first season, she's confronting a really bad man, a South American dictator. And the scandal in this case is that the South American dictator has come to America for some reason, and his wife has taken this opportunity to seek asylum. And the main character in Scandal, who is this, the woman that runs this PR agency, is confronting the dictator. And I forget the exact words of it. I had to go back and play it over like six times. I just couldn't believe it. She basically says that the way change happens in the world is that when women like uh, say things on red carpets to cameras, when celebrity women, like his wife who's running away, go to benefits and inspire people with their words <laughs> delivered from red carpets. I couldn't believe this. That's what they're idealistic about. It was utterly cynical about everything that happens in Washington, but completely, cluelessly, childishly idealistic about what happens in Hollywood. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. As you point out, what we have in these shows is Hollywood not looking at Washington, but rather looking, gazing in the mirror and seeing everywhere else. And this is... Yes, it's a form of projection, I think. When you think about what we've been describing, these shows completely miss the point, and they don't describe actual scandals. Uh, they don't even really describe Washington. You know, they could be about anywhere. Two of them are imported from England, for God's sakes. They aren't about Washington. Well, what are they about? And I thought about it, and after a while, I, was, I figured it out. These are shows about Hollywood. This is how Hollywood works. They are describing, this is TV describing itself, you know, as a common phenomenon. You know, advertising, 
They love to talk about the process of coming up with an ad. Movies love to talk about people putting on a show. <laughs> this is Hollywood talking about Hollywood, and they've just projected it onto Washington, D.C., because that's what you do. But that's what they're really talking about. Take Veep for a second. The kind of language, you know, the abuse that these characters heap on one another. One of the sort of funny things about Washington is you, you actually could not do that here. The, the lawsuits would, you know, the lawsuits would just start flying. You just can't talk that way to people. Uh, you can't treat people like that. They will sue you. I mean, it's a very lawyer-intensive city. But there is a place where people do act like that to one another, and that's Hollywood. And there is a place where people are these sort of Machiavellian, Nietzschean, will-to-power monads, always seeking the upper hand on one another and, and, and seeking personal control of one another. And that's Hollywood. That's what, that's what these shows are about. In much the same way that the hills behind Hollywood are ev anywhere from South America to the Sahara Desert <laughs> yes, to exactly. Central Europe to the Russian steppes to the so, Chinese uh, plains. Last night I watched a World War II movie. I love World War II movies. And this one was about uh, Bataan, you know, in the Philippines in 1940, early 42. And it's the hills of Hollywood <laughs> or, 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 you know, the Bataan Peninsula in the Philippines. Well, we'll be looking forward to your next exploration around the world, whether it's Hollywood, Washington, or the Bataan. <laughs> hey, uh, so I've got a great one next month about uh, I, where I turn, in which I turn my my cynical and skeptical eye on the uh, idea of creativity, Rick. Creativity. Oh, good. We'll yeah, look I mix to it up that. with the idea of creativity itself. Well, we'll look forward to see what kind of creative ideas that you come up with about creativity itself. I've been speaking to Thomas Frank. He writes for Harper's Magazine. His monthly column is The Easy Chair. This month, it's Power Rangers about Hollywood's fantasies of Washington. Thank you for speaking with me, Thomas. Of course, Rick. Anytime. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.